and welcome to another teaching by 119 Ministries. Our ministry teaches that the whole Bible is true and applicable for our lives today. If you would like to know more about what we believe and teach, please visit us at testeverything.net. We hope that you enjoy studying and testing the following teaching. Jewish counter-missionaries or anti-missionaries who teach against the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, often claim that the Messiah must have a human father and that Yeshua's alleged lack of a human father supposedly disqualifies him from being the Messiah. Not only is this not true, but the Torah implies the Messiah would not have a human father at all. We read in the Torah, Yahweh Elohim said to the serpent in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 through 15, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, and above all the beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This passage makes a very surprising reference to not the seed of a man, but the seed of a woman. Targum Suda Jonathan understands this account in Genesis 3 in this way. And it shall be that when the sons of the woman study the Torah diligently and obey its injunctions, they will direct themselves to smite you on the head and slay you. But when the sons of the woman forsake the commandments of the Torah and do not obey its injunctions, you will direct yourself to bite them on the heel and afflict them. However, there will be a remedy for the sons of the woman. But for you, serpent, there will be no remedy. They shall make peace with one another in the end, in the very end of days, in the days of King Messiah. The Targum Yerushalami interprets as follows, And it shall be that when the sons of the woman study the Torah diligently and obey its injunctions, they will direct themselves to smite you on the head and slay you. But when the sons of the woman forsake the commandments of the Torah and do not obey its injunctions, you will direct yourself to bite them on the heel and afflict them. However, there will be a remedy for the sons of the woman, but for you, serpent, there will be no remedy. They shall make peace with one another in the end, in the very end of the days, in the days of the King Messiah." We find it important to point to some of the Jewish rabbinical thoughts as it relates to Genesis 3, verses 14 through 15. Both of these Targums interpret the seed of the woman as those who study the Torah and obey it. However, in doing so, they make peace with one another, and those are described as the days of King Messiah. Thus, the Targums identify Torah-observant Israel with the Messiah in this passage as the seed of the woman. What is even more interesting is that Midrash Rabbah makes this identification of the seed of the woman as the Messiah clear in its comment to Genesis 23 verse 5, referring to the naming of Seth. It says, And she called his name Seth, for God has appointed me another seed, etc. Rabbi Tanhuma said in the name of Samuel Kozith, she hinted at that seed which would arise from another source. Viz. the King Messiah. 
there can be little doubt that this seed would arise from another source. Here is Eve's seed mentioned in Genesis 3.15, the seed of a woman, the Messiah. Thus we may see from the Torah itself that the Messiah would not have a human father, but would instead be the seed of a woman. Even rabbinical thought agrees with this interpretation. This brings us to Matthew 1.23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is pointing to the prophecy in Isaiah, Isaiah 7.14. Therefore Yahweh himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin, Alma, shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Despite the fact that we just read rabbinical support for the Genesis chapter 3 prophecy being messianic in nature, and we also read rabbinical support that points to the fact that Genesis 3 reveals that the Messiah would come not from the seed of a man, but from the seed of a woman, anti-missionaries challenge the application of this verse in Isaiah as a virgin birth. This is done to challenge the credibility of Matthew 1.23. The truth is that the evidence is overwhelming that this verse is a messianic prophecy and does in fact refer to a virgin birth of the Messiah. This can be shown in three ways. The first is the meaning of the Hebrew word Alma and why it would be used here. The second is the reading of the other ancient versions of Isaiah 7.14. And the third is the overall context of this passage. Now great controversy surrounds the Hebrew word Alma in Isaiah 7.14. It has been suggested that the Hebrew word Alma simply means young woman, and that if Isaiah intended to refer to a virgin, he would have used the Hebrew word Betulah. So, the question arises, what is an Alma and what is a Betulah? And why would Isaiah use the word Alma rather than Betulah if it were to be a virgin birth? The word Alma refers to a young unmarried woman, one of whose characteristics is virginity. There is no instance where the word Alma is used to refer to non-virgin. In such passages as Genesis chapter 24 verse 43 and Song chapter 1 verse 3 and chapter 6 verse 8, Alma clearly refers to virgins. Also, compare Genesis chapter 24 verse 43 with chapter 24 verse 16 where Betulah appears. In fact, the Hebrew Publishing Company translation of 1916 translates Alma as virgin in Genesis chapter 24 verse 43 and Song of Solomon chapter 1 verse 3 and chapter 6 verse 8. Moreover, an ancient Ugaritic tablet was discovered which uses Alma in synonymous poetic parallelism as a synonymous parallel to the cognate of Betula. For this reason, one of the world's leading Semitists, the late Dr. Cyrus Gordon, who is Jewish and did not believe in the virgin birth of Yeshua, maintains that Isaiah chapter 7 14 may be translated as virgin. So why would Isaiah have used Alma rather than Betulah? Now it has been suggested that Isaiah 7 14 refers not to a birth to a virgin, but to a birth to a young woman. In order to understand how this passage was understood anciently, we should look at other ancient versions of the book of Isaiah. Here is how the Aramaic Peshitta Tanakh has Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. The Aramaic word Betulah clearly means virgin and not simply young lady. Now let's look at the Greek Septuagint reading. 
Isaiah 7:14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and call his name Emmanuel. The Greek Parthenos means virgin, and not simply young lady. Thus both the ancient Aramaic and ancient Greek versions of Isaiah 7.14 understand Alma here to refer to a virgin. Finally, we want to examine the context of Isaiah 7.14. We want to examine the immediate context of Isaiah 7 and then the broader context of this whole section of Isaiah. Here is a literal Hebrew translation of Isaiah 7.14. Therefore the Lord himself shall give to you a sign. Behold, the Alma will conceive and bear a son and she will call his name Emmanuel. You, in verse 14, is plural. By contrast, King Ahaz is singular you in verses 11 and 16 through 17. The sign to Ahaz was that before a child should know how to choose good from bad, the siege would end. The child was not to be the newborn child of verse 14. The child is Isaiah's son, Sha'ar Yashu, from Isaiah 7, 3. The prophecy of Isaiah 7.14 is not addressed only to Ahaz, as is the rest of the prophecy. The following literal translation clears things up. S will be singular, and PL will be plural. Then Yahweh said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you, singular, and Shair Yashuv, your son, being singular. Verse 10, Yahweh spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask for a sign for yourself, singular, from Yahweh, your God, singular. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test Yahweh. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David. Is it a small thing for you, plural, to weary men? But will you, plural, weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you, plural, a sign. Behold, the Alma will conceive and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good. For behold, before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land you, singular, dread will be forsaken by both her kings. Yahweh will bring the king of Assyria upon you, singular, and your people, singular, and your father's house, singular. Note the clear distinction to what is addressed to you, plural, and what is addressed to you, singular, achaz, and how this creates a distinction between the newborn in verse 14 and the child in verse 16. Thus the birth in Isaiah 14 is not assigned to achaz alone. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 8 through 9, and chapter 9, verses 9 through 7, also speaks of this same Emmanuel figure. Thus, it is clear that the Emmanuel of Isaiah chapter 7, 14, and 8, verse 8, is also the child born in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. Now, the New Testament, the Brit Hadashah, clearly applies these passages to Messiah Yeshua. Revelation chapter 21 verse 3 alludes to Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 and 8 verse 8 and verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 3 14 through 15 cites Isaiah chapter 8 12 through 13 in regards to the Messiah. Romans chapter 9 verse 32 and 1 Peter 2 
apply Isaiah 8.14 to the Messiah. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 13 applies Isaiah chapter 8, 17 through 18 to the Messiah. And finally, Matthew chapter 4, 15 through 16 and Luke chapter 1 verse 79 apply Isaiah chapter 8 verse 23 to chapter 9 verse 1 to the Messiah. Of the five surviving fragments of the ancient Nazarene Midrash on Isaiah, three of them fall in this section of Isaiah and all three apply the passages to Yeshua. Moreover, the Talmud applies Isaiah 8.14 to the Messiah. Judah and Hezekiah, the sons of Rabbi Hiya, once sat at a table with Rabbi and uttered not a word. Whereupon he said, Give the young men plenty of strong wine, so that they may say something. When the wine took effect, they began by saying, The son of David cannot appear ere the two ruling houses in Israel shall have come to an end. The exilarchate in Babylon and the patriarchate in Palestine, for it is written, And he shall be for a sanctuary, for a stone of stumbling, and for a rock of offense to both houses of Israel. Thereupon he exclaimed, You throw thorns in my eyes, my children. At this he, his disciple, remarked, Master, be not angered, for the numerical value of the letters of Yain is seventy, and likewise the letters of Sod. When Yain, wine, goes in, Sod, secrets, come out. Moreover, Targum Jonathan on Isaiah applies Isaiah 9, 6-7 to the Messiah as well. Finally, the figure in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6-7 through certainly seems to be the same as that in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. This is important because everyone agrees that Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 refers to the Messiah. Thus, by examining the overall context of Isaiah 7, 14, it becomes clear that Isaiah 7.14 is indeed a messianic prophecy which prophesies the virgin birth of the Messiah. Now that that is established, another critique usually presents itself. If Yeshua is only the seed of a woman, then how is Yeshua's prophetic genealogy established? The Genealogy of the Messiah For years, there have been a number of teachings going around which allege that the genealogies of Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3 are both those of Joseph, and in some versions of the teaching, that Mary was a Levite. It is a simple matter to show that the two genealogies given of Yeshua in Matthew and Luke cannot be through the same parent or step-parent. A quick look at the genealogy shows that the names are the same until we get to King David. Then, they diverge completely. This list clearly shows that one genealogy follows a line that passes from David to his son Solomon, and then to the line of kings. The other line passes through another of David's sons, Nathan. Both genealogies cannot be for the same parent, and both trace back to the tribe of Judah. Anti-missionaries love to attack the genealogy of Yeshua. The reason is that the genealogy of the Messiah is critical and Yeshua fit these criteria perfectly. The Tanakh gives the following criteria for the genealogy of the Messiah. First off, the Messiah must be the seed of Abraham. Genesis 17:19. Elohim said, No, but Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. And he must descend from Jacob. Numbers 24. I see him, but not now. 
I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab, and break down all the sons of Sheth. And he must be of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Who is this Shiloh? The Gemara also asks what is the Messiah's name. Rabbi Shelah offers the answer. His name is Shiloh, for it is written, until Shiloh comes. The Targums all have until Messiah comes, in place of until Shiloh comes. Whether or not one places any value on gematria, or numerical values of the Hebrew letters, there is something worth mentioning here on that subject. The word Shiloh has a gematria numerical value of 345, which is the same value of Hashem, the name, and El Shaddai. The phrase Shiloh comes has a gematria of 358, which is the same as the gematria for Messiah and Moses, because the Messiah is the prophet likened unto Moses. This is because the name of the Messiah is embedded in the phrase until Shiloh comes. The Zohar says of Genesis 49.10, The scepter referring to the Messiah of the house of Judah and the staff to the Messiah of the house of Joseph until Shiloh comes is Moses, the gematria of Shiloh, and Moses being the same. The word Shiloh here is spelt with a yod and a he to allude to the holy superal name, Yah, which by the Shekinah shall rise. Thus the Sohar teaches us that in Genesis 49.10, we have the two messiahs, or the two comings of the messiah, represented as a scepter and a staff, which are one Shiloh, and the one Shiloh has Yah within him. We do not cite rabbinical positions as a demonstration of authority, or that rabbinical insight is always valid. But we simply wish to demonstrate historical messianic connections made by rabbis of the past that so many anti-missionaries now find it convenient to dismiss in their critiques of Messiah Yeshua. The Messiah must also be an heir to David's throne, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 5-7. through 7. For every boot of the tramping warrior, in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Wand the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of Yahweh of hosts will do this. Anti-missionaries have argued that Yeshua was not heir to David's throne if he was not actually Joseph's son. Of course, the claim of the Gospels is that Yeshua was born to Mary without any earthly father. This is actually a false claim. The throne can very clearly be passed by inheritance, regardless of physical bloodline. In fact, David himself inherited the throne from Saul without being of Saul's bloodline. David was a legitimate heir to Saul's throne by way of his covenant with Jonathan, which was how David legitimately obtained the throne. Many anti-missionaries tried to attack Yeshua's genealogy by claiming that the genealogies in Matthew and Luke contradict one another. In fact, Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, 
gives Yeshua's genealogy through his stepfather, adopted father, Joseph, while Luke chapter 3, 23-38 gives his genealogy through his mother, Mary. We know this because the genealogy in Luke begins with Joseph, the son of Heli. The Jerusalem Talmud mentions a certain Mary who in context appears to be the mother of Yeshua, who is said to be the daughter of Eli. The Aramaic bar, like the Hebrew word ben, normally means son of, but is very ambiguous, but can also refer to a son-in-law, a stepson, a servant, a student, or a follower. An example of this can be found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 16. Joseph was the son of Jacob. The Greek has only of, which is why the King James Version has son of in italics. Thus, the Greek can also refer to a son-in-law. Matthew gives the genealogy of Yeshua through his supposed father, meaning his stepfather and adoptive father, Joseph, to establish Yeshua's legal right to the throne of David through Solomon. Luke, on the other hand, gives Yeshua's genealogy through his mother, Mary, showing Messiah to also be the seed of David, through David's son, Nathan. This resolves the problem of the curse of Jeconiah, though it may also be argued based on Haggai chapter 2, verse 23, that this curse had been reversed. Anti-missionaries have claimed that the presence of Jeconiah in Yeshua's genealogy disqualifies him from being Messiah due to the supposed curse of Jeconiah, as we read in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 22. As I live, declares Yahweh, through Coniah the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet reign on my right hand, yet I would tear you off and give you into the hand of those who seek your life, into the hand of those whom you are afraid, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, into the hand of the Chaldeans. I will hurl you and the mother who bore you into another country where you were not born, and there you shall die. But to the land to which they long to return, they shall not return. Is this man Coniah a despised broken pot, a vessel no one cares for? Why are he and his children hurled and cast into a land that they do not know? O oh, land, 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 hear the word of Yahweh. If we look into the book of Haggai, we find that Elohim appears to have reversed this curse. Haggai chapter 2, verse 23. On that day, declares Yahweh of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares Yahweh, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares Yahweh of hosts. Note the use of the term signet ring in each passage. The Talmud even seems to agree with this concept that the curse was reversed. It says, Exile makes remission for three things, for it is written, Thus saith the Lord, etc. He that abideth in this city shall die by the sword, and by the famine, and by the pestilence. But he that goeth out and falleth away to the Chaldeans, who besiege you, he shall live, and his life shall be made unto him for a prey. Johannan said, Exile atones for everything, for it is written, Thus saith the Lord, Write ye this man childless, a man that shall not prosper in his days. For no man of his seed shall prosper sitting upon the throne of David and ruling any more in Judah. Whereas after he, the king, was exiled, it is written, And the sons of Jeconiah, 
the same as Asir, Shealtiel, his son, etc. He was called Asir, because his mother conceived him in prison. Shealtiel, because God did not plant him in the way that others are planted. We know by tradition that a woman cannot conceive in a standing position. Yet she did conceive standing. Another interpretation, Shealtiel, because God obtained absolution from his oath. Zerubbabel was so called because he was sown in Babylon. But his real name was Nehemiah, the son of Hachaliah. Also, the Midrash Rabbah says, They made the calf and deserved to be exterminated, and I would have thought that he would curse and destroy them. Yet no sooner had they repented than the danger was averted, and the Lord repented of the evil. And so in many places, for example, he said about Jeconiah, For no man of his seed shall prosper. And it says, I will overthrow the throne of kingdoms, and I will destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, Will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, saith the Lord, and I will make thee as a signet. Thus was annulled that which he had said to his forefather, As I live, saith the Lord, through Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, were the signet upon my right hand, yet I would pluck thee thence. Also we read, Joshua ben Levi, however, argued as follows, Repentance sets aside the entire decree, and prayer half the decree. You find that it was so with Jeconiah, king of Judah. For the Holy One, blessed be he, swore in his anger, As I live, saith the Lord, through Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, with his signet on a hand, yet by my right. Note, as Meir said, That is, was by his right hand that God swore, I would pluck thee hence. And what was decreed against Jeconiah? That he die childless. As it said, write ye this man childless. But as soon as he avowed penitence, the Holy One, blessed be he, set aside the decree, as it is shown by Scripture's reference to the sons of Jeconiah. The same is Asir, Shealtiel, his son, etc. And Scripture says further, In that day will I take thee, O Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and we will make thee as a signet. Behold, then, how penitence can set aside the entire decree. Anti-missionaries also attack Yeshua's genealogy in Matthew because three names are omitted in Matthew chapter 1, verse 8. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 8, we read, Jeram, the father of Yosea. Here the names of three kings are omitted. These are added back in the Old Syriac. However, they are clearly not part of the original text of Matthew, since verse 17 in Old Syriac still counts only 14 names. Once again, Jewish anti-missionaries fail to use equal weights and measures, judging the Gospels by a stricter criteria than what is applied to the Tanakh. The truth is that it was not unusual for ancient Hebrew genealogies to be abbreviated and omit names. For example, if we compare the genealogy of Ezra as given in Ezra chapter 7 verses 1 through 5 with that given in 1 Chronicles chapter 6 4 through 15, we find that the later genealogy given in Ezra also has omitted names. While anti-missionaries seek to attack Yeshua's genealogy, the truth is that Yeshua was heir to the throne of David through Solomon by the way of his stepfather Joseph 
and as we see in Matthew 1, was also the physical descendant of David through Nathan by the way of his mother Mary. These genealogies demonstrate that Yeshua was in fact uniquely qualified as fulfilling the genealogical prophecies regarding the Messiah. When confronting the misguided teachings of Jewish anti-missionaries, we encourage putting more effort into research and testing than they have put forth. In doing that, the answers will become apparent. We hope that you have been blessed by this teaching. And remember, continue to test everything. Shalom. It is because of you, our generous supporters, who make it possible to offer these high-quality teachings completely free of charge. If you feel led to support 119 Ministries so that we can continue this effort, please visit testeverything.net and click on the Support 119 tab. Learn how you can partner with us to take the whole Word of God to the nations.